are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Monday, everybody. Hope everybody's having a great Monday afternoon and you're starting your work week off right here on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We're here with you from 2 to 4 p.m. And then it'll be The Drive with Bill Cameron. Lance, how's your week starting off, buddy? He never touched the plate, Noah. How are you doing? <laughs> you are exactly right. He never did. No, he N- didn't. Not one point. You slow it down, it looks even worse. It's like, hmm, did he ever touch a plate? No, I guess he didn't. I guess he didn't. And then the officials apparently saw it a different way. It's, what, it's whatever. It's whatever. Major League Baseball, absolutely wrong. Absolutely wrong. And Sting is blowing up right now because he just watched it for the first time. He came into the studio and he's like, I didn't actually see it. I've heard about it, but I didn't see it. And Ma- Major League Baseball got it wrong. So wrong. Yeah, and it, it, we were. I was watching the game last night downtown eating at a restaurant, and I was like, that's going to come back and cost them the game. It's like, if they if they count this as a run, this is a pivotal moment. Like, the game's over. Even though Acuna was coming up second to bat in, in the bottom of the ninth, I was still like, this, this is going to cost them the game. And sure enough, it did. Major League Baseball said that there was no... There, there was not enough conclusive evidence Gosh. to suggest that the guy did oh, not that makes, touch the bag. That makes me sick. Did not touch the plate, that is. It is sick, and, and a lot of people are angry about it. And if you're just now joining us and you don't know what we're talking about, Atlanta Braves last night lost to the Philadelphia Phillies 7-6. to six. Still won the series, though, at two out of three games, but lost to the Philadelphia Phillies 7-6 to six after a blown call at the plate. Video reviews show that the guy did not indeed touch the plate, but Major League Baseball, in their in their wisdom thought that he did touch the plate so they thought he got there first like his I, I think it was his left foot that they thought potentially got there first and the umpire he, he was behind Atlanta's catcher so he couldn't actually see it but video review shows blatantly that he never got to the plate he his left leg slid around it and he was tagged out like it, it from from behind timing wise it looks like he he was safe at the plate but whenever you look at it in video review he never touched the plate even after he was out well, that's not how we're going to open this show, even though we already did. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. What are your thoughts on anything going on in the sports world? You got thoughts on that call last night? You got thoughts on officiating? It, we'll, we'll listen to you, Vin. I'll find it entertaining, probably. So 334-321-1390 is the way to get into the show. Noah Garner and Lance Dahl here with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Let's open up the show today. We've had... Some media availabilities after a scrimmage this past weekend on Saturday. And then also you've got players that made themselves available today. I believe it was Luke Deal, J.J. Pegues, and Javarius Johnson were the three guys for the Tigers. And there was some major news that came out of the weekend, considering this is everybody's favorite guy to talk about. J.J. Pegues has moved to the defensive line. 
Yeah, and from what from what I've heard, he had two sacks and a tackle for loss in his Let's first go. scrimmage. Try blocking that guy. We were t- I was talking about this at lunch earlier with Zach Blackerby, uh, host of Locked On Auburn, uh, the Locked On Auburn podcast, and we were talking about like he's definitely going to become that space eating guy, that middle guy on the defensive line. I'd love to see him turn out like a Marlon Davidson type player at three hundred plus pounds. Except I think. Just based off of what I've seen from J.J. last season at the tight end position, he might be more mobile, might be more versatile, might be able to get his hands in there quicker and be able to make a couple more sacks than Marlon did. I believe he had 14 and a half in his time at Auburn. I might be mistaken. I may need to go check on that. Uh, but Pekis has potential, like serious potential. And when you're talking about potential pro prospect J.J. Pekis, he's a much better prospect at the defensive line than at tight end position or at the tight end spot in my opinion 100 and, and you just don't see guys like him at the next level right you don't see tight ends north of 300 pounds consistently making plays at the collegiate level either so it makes complete sense i talked about jj Pegues a lot of people didn't like how i was breaking down or examining him at the tight end position but the reality of the situation is jj Pegues is not a tight end He's a gimmick tight end. He's a gadget player if you want to find a way to use him on offense. And I still think Auburn, in special situations, and I'm not putting it past Auburn to do this, Brian Harson comes from Trick Play University, the Boise State University. He comes from a school in a history of trick plays. I will not put it past Auburn to put this guy on the offensive side of the ball. I'm going to be real. There's no reason why Auburn in a goal line package shouldn't use J.J. Pegues as the fridge. I was about to say there, there's no reason not to put him at goal line and maybe let him run a jump pass or a quarterback draw or something like there's that. There's a lot of different things he, you can do with it. He's still mobile enough to do it. We saw it in the Arkansas game. And he's hard enough to tackle. That's exactly right. So it, he would be a perfect... If you can get any type of push up front in a goal line package, he is in. That's right. So it, he would be perfect for both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. And then actually... Uh, I saw something on Twitter. Let me see if I can pull it up real quick. Just talking about his snap count at a couple of different positions. Talking about like as far as let's see, as far as like his lining up at kick returns and stuff like that. Yeah, so I got it right here. So by position and then his snaps. Looking at what JJ Pegues did at quarterback, he had seven snaps in the backfield. He had eight at inline. He had 117 at slot. He had 29 as a wide receiver. He had 22 kick return, uh, kick return, 53 kick coverage, 20 snaps, punt coverage, five snaps and field goal and extra point kicks. He had 48 snaps. <laughs> He's played everywhere. Very, very, very versatile tight end for a guy that's listed at over 300 pounds. That's right. And it's because he's super athletic. And that was what he was billed as when he was being recruited to Auburn. Of course, he was being billed as this insanely athletic 300-pound human being that was going to be ridiculously difficult to tackle out in space. But here's the issue. In order to make him effective, Auburn had to go to a lot of trouble last year just to be able to set up like two-yard passes out in the flats that most of the time just averaged eight yards a reception. (laughs) You know, like it wasn't worth it. All of the effort, work smarter, not harder, ladies and gentlemen. Work smarter, not harder. And Auburn had to work harder in order to be able to make J.J. Pegues effective on the offensive side of the football, whereas they have other tight ends that will be much more effective on an average basis than J.J. Pegues. And that's why he's moving to the defensive side of the football. I like this move. He's moving to to a position where... He's going to be he's going to be hard to handle. He's going to be hard to block. It's not like all of a sudden this guy, all of the reasons why he was difficult to handle on the offensive side of the ball are easily transferable to the defensive side of the ball. He's still a monstrous 
human being. He's still big. He's still going to be hard to handle on the defensive line. I think, and, and we've seen him lay the lumber on a block last year. I, don't, I can't remember. I think that was the Arkansas game, possibly, that we saw that there was a pulling. He pulled, and then there was just a helpless player there that just got smashed by J.J. Pegues. The guy can hit. The guy can move. And I think he's going to be uh, tons of fun on the defensive line. That's right. You're talking about his his plug-and-play ability on the defensive line compared to the offense. I mean, you're exactly he's exactly what you said he is. He's a gadget player at tight end. He would be he would be the guy that Auburn would motion back and forth, and then they'd use on those little weird screens or those pop-out flat routes. And Auburn couldn't really do much with him. The one time we got to see him on a wheel, wheel route, he dropped the pass. The one time we would get him to see him run down the seam – Bonix wouldn't target him because he, he was afraid that he wouldn't be able to come down with, with the pass. So talking about his ability on the offensive side of the ball, it got to a point where defenses were able to figure it out and say, okay, we can limit this guy because he doesn't have a lot of ability outside of quarterback draw and flat routes. As far as the defensive side of the football, there's not a whole lot of versatility to a nose tackle position, and he's going to be able to be efficient in that, in that spot, I believe, because he is such a versatile player. So I, I, whenever you're talking about plug-and-play ability on either side of the football, like you said, I think he's going to be fantastic on that on that defensive line, and Auburn desperately needs him now with Jeremiah Jeremiah Wright out. One hundred percent, and maybe, and I think he's still on the small side to play nose tackle. So I, I don't know exactly where on this defensive line JJ Pegues fits in at whether or not that I, I don't he's definitely not gonna I, I don't think he ends up at nose tackle I think you see Truzill at nose tackle before he's he's about 30 pounds less than what he needs to be in my opinion to play nose tackle in the SEC and some people may be wondering well what's the difference between nose tackle and defensive tackle nose tackle is going to line up over the center right a defensive tackle lines up you know obviously a lot of times in between the guard or the center sometimes even a little bit more outside of that and, so, and, and they do different things they're responsible for different gaps typically you have two defensive tackles and no nose tackle which would be the 4-3 defensive alignment or you would have in the 3-4 you would have two defensive ends and one nose tackle in the middle now Auburn could go to something that you see in the NFL often which is more of a pass rushing look here you could go to having two defensive tackles in the interior and then two pass rushing outside linebackers and the two uh and the two inside linebackers as well we've seen that from time to time there's different things but I I you know now we're gonna have to make adjustments to our depth chart like this was what I was talking about when we were doing our a-day depth chart series and we're talking about the defensive line it's so hard to predict because now all of a sudden a guy moves from the offense to the defense and we had Jeremiah right at the top. He gets hurt a couple of days after we have him at the top of the depth chart. And now we've got to we've got to do some shuffling, and we'll just see what, who he runs with when A Day rolls around. That's right. Speaking of A Day, I think he's going to be able to actually play well, considering he's going to probably line up against the two and three deep. So he'll be playing against the second and third team. He'll definitely have a chance to shine on A Day. It's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Some other things happening. Auburn offensive players were talking today. Javarius Johnson and Luke Deal and the next offensive player, J.J. Begeese as well. And the consensus conversation topic between Javarius Johnson and Luke Deal is that this offense looks different. Yeah, that's right, and I think we're going to not necessarily see it switch to more of a pro look, but we are. Going Even though to, they're saying it looks more like a pro offense, it's going to be more of a traditional pro offense, and I think like we, we've talked about it all off. But season. that's a whole lot different, though, than what it was ten years ago. That's right. That's People right. think when so, when someone says pro style offense, just full disclaimer here, and then we'll go back to your thought. Just when people say pro style offense now, 
Some folks think back to what it looked like 10 years ago, which was ground and pound. You were under center all High the formation. time. Right. It, they, they think back to those days. It's not like that anymore. Go and look at what's happening in the NFL right now. They're in shotgun a lot. I was about, that's exactly what I was about to say. Is I would be surprised. I'm going to be interested to see how often Bo Nix takes snaps from under center, how often that is, and how often they're in shotgun as opposed to like what you would traditionally see in the NFL. Like talking about, like you said, ten or so years ago. I'm leaning sixty forty shotgun at the moment. I can see that. I can see that, and I think it's actually going to benefit this offense when you're talking about trying to get a running game going. I think Tank Bixby is going to be able to play well this season. We've gotten to talk to Sean Shivers a little bit. He he believes that this is going to be more downhill offense this season we've actually gotten to see a couple videos from him just running people over in scrimmage like dude that's your own teammate that you're running over out there (laughs) Uh, but I I think this has a family I think this (laughs) offense you know Malzahn's offense I don't want to say it was all gadgety but it was a little gadgety at times I think it relied on it a little too heavily but with a more traditional offense that that Harson's going to bring to the table I think Auburn is going to have success the question to me is is whether or not Bo Nix takes that next step in development where do you think he's at right now with that? Uh, well, just I think Harson actually, Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, asked him about developing quarterbacks and specifically developing Knicks, and I believe he gave a 980-word response, according to Ferguson. So that's like a small essay. Um, but from what I've seen, just the base— Front of the program, Justin Ferguson. Find just him to, on Twitter. Just to, just to break that down, I believe the, 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 the overall message was saying that Bo Nix is an intelligent quarterback, and he is figuring out the system right now. So I, I, think, I think he's making progress. I think he's making steps— toward toward understanding everything that's going on he's not he's definitely not an incompetent quarterback I mean we saw he was able to do as a true freshman uh but I I would say he has a ways to go I mean it's only spring practice we got a lot to talk about today especially on the basketball side of things we went a full 30 minutes 45 minutes to open the show last week on Friday with basketball and Alabama did indeed add another transfer over the weekend Noah Gurley Furman did indeed select the Crimson Tide as we expected we'll break down that situation with the Crimson Tide on the basketball front also is there anybody left out there for Auburn basketball what's going on with Walker Kessler some of the other guards out there like Ty Ty Washington Xavier Pinson is going elsewhere Auburn's transfer market gets smaller by the day even though they have brought in two already so we'll break down some of those different situations we'll also talk Auburn baseball today we got agent sting for behind enemy baselines today to talk Auburn baseball's upcoming matchup against Georgia Tech we will also talk about how I was wrong about this past weekend with Auburn baseball and that egregiously bad weekend for the Tigers getting swept by Mississippi State which right now looking at it they're one and 11 in conference play they're gonna have to go I texted sting last night I said they're gonna have to go 14 and 4 over their last 18 games just to be able to make the postseason it's not looking like that it, it's looking it's looking grim for auburn baseball right now and by postseason i mean ncaa tournament they could still make the sec tournament that there's still a, a decent shot at that if they could turn things around but it's double a tournament hopes look like they could be going out the window we'll be back with more of on the line on the other side of this break number to call 334-321-1390 we want to hear from you we'll see you on the other side of this break you are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. We want to hear from you. Whatever's on your mind in the sports world, Auburn, Braves, I know a lot of people have to be mad about officiating last night. 
that's that that's that's a wound that's a scab that never heals that you know you watch sports for a week it'll come off you'll get angry about it over again and it's not like we can be terribly upset i mean the Braves still won the series I mean, they, they, that's a big game, though, to me, because the, the Phillies swept them the first go round and then the Braves had the chance to return the favor. Braves win that game. They're in first in the division. Yep. So that that matters. Gosh. And everybody wants to say, well, it's a 162 game season. But as I told you on the show last week, that's right. There are there is a finite amount of games against the Phillies, the Mets, the Nationals, and the Marlins. A finite amount of games. You only play those four teams so many times. And those games matter more than anybody else on your schedule. Of course, the other games matter as well because it all bakes into your record and whatnot. Your record at the end of the day is is what's going to decide it. But those are those times are the are, are the chances that you have to close some ground while they're not getting victories, right? Right. Like The Braves, like whatever the Phillies are doing this week, is completely out of the Braves' control. Completely out of the Braves' control. But last night was, well, until the officials took it out of their hands, was completely in the Braves' control, right? Yep. And so my opinion is, yes, there is a 162-game season. But who are you to say that these games early on in the season, when you've played six already against the Phillies out of your so many game season series against the Phillies, who are you to say that these six matter any less than down the stretch? Because let me tell you, you fall behind early enough, and Auburn baseball is showing you that right now. You fall behind early enough, and you're trying to you're trying to dig yourself out of a hole. That's not a place you want to be at. That's right. Just looking at the NLE standings right now, the Phillies sitting at six and three. The next closest team, obviously the Braves at four and five. Two games behind the Phillies in the NL East. Actually, the only other division in MLB that has that many games behind is the AL East. The Orioles two games behind the Red Sox. So you're talking about digging yourself a hole early. I mean, the Braves, now that I'm looking at it, the Braves really couldn't afford to lose that game, especially in that fashion last night. I wouldn't say that they couldn't afford it, and I, and I don't want to paint this as like this super urgent thing because, look, the Braves are 4-5. and five. They, they went and won like four games in a row over this past weekend and into that Philly series. They did win four games in a row. That's right, because they started out 0-4. They're, they're back in it, all right? Like, they're 4-5. and five, It is early. I, I'm, you're not wrong if you to say that this is a 162-game season. They've got plenty of time. I'm just trying to say every game matters, and at some point you have to draw the line and say, like, like yes, it may be game 9 out of 162, but, like, there, once again, there are a finite number of games against the Phillies, and who's to say that this, this sixth game of the season series against the Phillies is any less important than the last one because what happens if you beat the Phillies at the end of the year? Let, let's say at the end of the year and you're, 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 you're trying to take first place in the standings, you're, you're down one game in the standings to the Phillies. Yeah. And you took a season sweep on the first series and you took this L right here. Well, one of those four games would have been nice and dandy to have. That's right. That's right. Just but you told me they weren't important. Yep, yep. <laughs> it, it, every game matters, and I think you see that both in the M- NBA and the NFL. I mean, every single game matters. you, you got to be able to go out and play them, and it just really stinks whenever it's kind of taken out from under you like this. But nonetheless, there are 162 games, and there's plenty of time. If the Braves don't win the division, I also understand the argument to say, well, you couldn't put it all on one game because you had 162 games to right. figure it out and surpass the Phillies. So there's there's credence to both but it, when it comes down to such finite margins you got to make sure that you you can win you got to make sure that you win the close ones and, and the Braves last night took took a hard loss due to some 
poor officiating decisions. I want to go down this road here. Maybe it's me wanting to vent too, but I want to go down this road. Officiating. Egregious calls. We see them every year. Makes us all wonder how to make things better. How can we make it better? Not just in in, in uh, professional sports like MLB, but like in college sports too. I mean, every Auburn fans knows what knows what happened in 2019 yep. in that Final Four game. Double how dribble. We, I, I think you got to you got to start holding these guys more accountable for what they do. I think there there has to be more fines and there has to be more warnings, and you got to be able to hold these guys accountable for the calls that they make. There also, I feel like there's not a whole lot of communication that goes on. It, it, at least it looks like it. I, it, it. I just don't understand why it's so difficult to make obvious calls happen. Right. It, it, you see something, it's like, well, that's a blatant foul call, or that's a flagrant, flagrant one, or he stepped out of bounds. It's like not only they'll, they'll either just straight up not look at it, or when they do look at it, they'll look at it for five, ten minutes, and then they'll decide that they'll make the wrong call. It, it just does not make any sense to me. Somebody's got to be holding these guys more these guys more accountable. And then, as far as like, what if they are and we just don't know behind the scenes? If they if they are being held accountable, yeah. we just don't know. Well, uh, then they wouldn't be making calls like they did against Atlanta last night, because if they had seen the TV from the TV review from the angle that every fan got to see, it was blatantly obvious. Even Phillies fans on Twitter are saying, "Yeah, that, that was an egregious call." It's like even from that angle, if they I don't understand if they if they are seeing those angles or not, but it's blatantly obvious he never touched home. So so I I don't know if there's a lot of communication going on. I don't know what's going on, but there has to be more accountability when things like this happen and things like the final four happen. It, it, it's just it's egregious it costs teams games it costs programs revenue and, and it, it in certain situations it can be really really bad armor baseball drops to 12 and 16 overall 1 and 11 in conference play after suffering their third season sweep in sec play this year falling at the hands of mississippi state close game friday night lose six to five to mississippi state in game one but it seems like losing that game after that moment, Mississippi State just, they mauled them. Yeah. Auburn never looked competitive from that moment on. Yeah, the, the, the bullpen really struggled uh, all, all all three of these games, actually. Let's take a look. 5-6 to six loss to Mississippi State to open things up. Then a 2-7 to seven loss against Mississippi State on Saturday. And then 19 runs given up to Mississippi State. 10 in the first inning. 10 in the first inning. Gracious. Uh, kind of made you feel like on Sunday that they had, they had mailed it in. I saw so many different people on Twitter saying that was the longest 30 minutes of my entire life. <laughs> I highly doubt that i highly doubt that but still that is because uh then i guess there would have been like the happiest 30 minutes in that north carolina game right so uh, back a couple years ago in that track to omaha but still you know that's happened like twice this year to auburn like if you'll remember the old miss series auburn on sunday gave up 19 runs they lost that game 19 to 11 they they still hit against mississippi state on sunday but eh, still just very disappointing this past weekend for Auburn baseball against Mississippi State kind of felt like they had mailed it in I'll be I'll be real Sunday just kind of felt like that doesn't Saturday and Sunday felt like they had mailed it in kind of given up at this point yeah let's head to the phone lines now on the line with us now call again at 334-321-1390 we got a caller it's Drew with us Drew how you doing how you doing today my man I'd say I'm eight out of ten how about you buddy I'm doing good I'm doing good what's up on what's on your mind so I'd give you a little commentary on the officiating thing. So I, I've played some college ball, sat on the bench for a year at least, and, and I've done a, a, quite a bit of high school, done a little bit of college, and a little bit of uh, lower-level D-league officiating. And I can just tell you, you, there is an awful lot of politics in officiating. Um, there's an awful lot of jealousy in officiating from the lowest level of JV all 
the way up to the NBA where, uh, you know, these guys will call on, over on top of each other. So there's three positions in officiating, and you have your zone depending on where the ball is on the floor and where, where you're actually positioned as an official, and you're not supposed to call outside of your zone. And when you have a really good officiating crew that respects each other, you can actually tell it. But, you know, things that are obvious, like the guys, you know, in the, in the Auburn Final Four game about the double dribble, you know, the, the problem with that is it's very difficult for an official in a, you know, a, a, a major game at the end of the game to make a call that's going to obviously, you know, end the game. It, it would have ended the game. It's very difficult. And likewise, the idiot that made the call, um, I can't think of the kid's name, but made the call on the three-point shot, make, making that call at that time in the game when they had not made it, um, made those calls all, all game long, it just makes it very difficult to watch. And I think that's really what fans would prefer is not expect to get everything right. It's just consistency. Yep. Yeah, my, my big question here to you then about that Final Four game, if we're going back to that, is I don't understand. I, I feel I'm more at peace with the call in the corner, and I, I completely understand the, the call for consistency because I believe Dowdy fouled him. But the the double dribbles where I'm, I still am like, that. even though it would have ended the game, it's an obvious call, and it's a call you have to make because they, they did. They, they did double dribble, right? That affects the outcome it, of a game. It's the right call, so... This, this will sound like I'm trying to be one of those big-time Paul Feinbaum callers, but I actually know an official that talked with the crew, and not the whole crew, but people that were there as part of that crew. The guy looked away. He was not looking dead at it. He was looking down the floor, and it's his position to actually check clock. And he was checking clock and got just – he just missed it. He just straight up missed it. Now, on film, it looks like he's looking right at it. But he, he just straight up missed it. Wow. That, that, if, that, if that is indeed true, that is, that's just a really tough break and, and a miraculous break for Virginia at that, you know. Yeah. I wonder if they would have made that call, though, if he had seen it. Because, you know, most people didn't think that that was a double dribble. And so I've heard some was- people provide the argument that maybe they just didn't think about it in the moment and it wasn't reviewable. No, it was obviously a, a double dribble, and it just, the guy just didn't. He did. He swallowed his whistle, or he missed it. And either one of those is bad. Um, you know, they're they're getting paid. They get paid a lot of money in a Final Four game. You know, they get heck, they get paid a lot of money for a Wednesday night game in the SEC. That's right. So you know, they they really as far as holding them accountable and finding them, I don't know about that because those guys are the ones that actually made the cut to be the best. Well, uh, Drew, we gotta we gotta head to a hard break here, but uh, we appreciate you taking the time to to talk to us on the line. We're sorry about that, my man. That's all right, brother man. Have a good show. You too. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 1067 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll get you through to On the Line. Big thank you there to Drew for joining us in that previous segment. If you want to call in, once again, the number to call, 334-321-1390. We're going to head to the phone lines again. we got Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports with us on the line. Jeremy, how you doing today, my man? 
Oh, wow. It's, it's great to be talking to the Point Gardner, the man who has set Gump Twitter on fire <laughs> over the last few days. Right, congratulations. Nobody's got those guys going. They needed something to get fired up about after losing to UCLA. I know they've landed a couple commits, but they, they needed that, Noah. They needed that tweet. You launched me into it, though. You're the one who retweeted it or quote tweeted it, yeah. and then I was I was pulled in. I was pulled asunder into the abyss. <laughs> I was I was calling a very meaningful game two of a series between Silicaga and Clay County, and I saw that tweet, and I leaned over to Michael Adair, my color analyst, and I said, "Watch this," and it interrupted. <laughs> So I'm glad I could help you out. I don't know if you got any follows or lost any I did. follows, but I was like, this is going to set the world on fire. I actually got a few. I picked up a few, and they were all Alabama followers. I was here for it, you know, and I thought it was a complimentary tweet of Alabama fans. And I know earlier, I saw you earlier today, and I, and I said to you, I said, man, it finally ended today. It did not. There are still people arguing in the comments section of that tweet. And for, and for listeners out there who don't know what's going on, we talked about it on Friday's show about how I made a tweet that I thought was perfectly accurate. It was taken out of context, and now Alabama fans are all in a tizzy. And basically it was just me saying that the, that a gap has been closed and the two teams are going to have a really fun rivalry now moving forward in the Auburn-Alabama basketball rivalry. Well, Jeremy, I want to know your thoughts on it then. That, 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 this is a great way to lead into our phone call. Your thoughts on my tweet. Uh, well, I thought there was a gap a couple of years ago, but um, I, I think Nate Oates is – I think the, the two teams are even, or Nate Oates has um, overtaken the gap and created one. I mean, what Nate Oates has been able to do, guys, is, uh, you know, it, it's been pretty special. Year one, he kind of collapses at the end, just like Anthony Grant, just like Avery Johnson. But, I mean, there's no telling what that team could have done in in Nashville. You know, they didn't get to play an SEC tournament game. And so, I mean – you never know what could have happened with a, a team that shot the three ball as well as they did, and then they roll into this year. SEC champs, regular season, tournament. I know the postseason came up a little short in the, in the tournament, but, I mean, what Nate Oates has done with that and then the last couple days, I mean, Badaiko, Badaiko, Burnett, Gurley. I mean, this is an Alabama team who, if you had one flaw, you felt like they gave up too many offensive rebounds, really too many rebounds. In the uh, in the NCAA tournament, well, they just come back with landing three guys that are, you know, two guys that are six eight to six eleven, and they land a, a former four or five star guard, depending on what recruiting service you look at. I mean, Nate Oates and Brian Hodgson and Petway, they got it, they got it rolling right now, guys. So those two additions or three additions, I guess, in the past seven days, there was a high school freshman Betty Ako, the the player that you're referring to, the center who who comes in, and then you've got two transfers that are coming in that now put Alabama two players over the scholarship limit they got 15 guys on a scholarship limit right now of 13 everybody in college basketball has to adhere to those limitations unless you're in trouble and you've got less but that means two guys have to leave what two guys do you think will be leaving the Crimson Tide I don't like to speculate Noah because that would essentially be me saying that some of the guys aren't good enough to play but I I think that Rojas and yeah, Keon Ambrose Hilton are guys that could immediately go somewhere else and play. Um, Rojas did not give you what everybody thought that he would give you um, last season. Didn't average a lot of points, didn't average a lot of rebounds. Um, he was coming off, I believe, an ACL injury. So he didn't really give you what you thought. Came out a little slower. And, and then you got to look at up and down the bench and, and see one other position because you, you sign those three guys right there. You're over the limit. And those all, all those guys are players that 
you know, I think Nate Oates and Brian Hodson believe are going to be difference makers and playmakers and guys that log a lot of minutes. So, you know, you got to make some room. I don't know if it's Keon Ambrose Hilton. I would probably peg Rojasen for one of those. But if it's if it's Hilton, I just wouldn't be surprised. Noah Gurley, the most recent addition to this recruiting class, this transfer class, and we I, I don't I don't even know if we got to talk to you last week about Namari Burnett, so we'll get to him in just a moment. But most recently, Furman transfer Noah Gurley, what will he contribute to the Crimson Tide? Well, this is gonna add some much needed length. You gotta realize last year, once Bruner went down, you're putting Jawan Gary in a spot where he's probably not the most comfortable. Um, he's not the biggest guy. No, he's not a small guy by any means, but he's not the biggest guy. And he's still, what he was able to do on the glass for Alabama down the stretch last season, I, I thought really helped Alabama because it could have been a nightmare after Bruner was hurt and that Alex Reese really wasn't playing great till he got to the tournament, wasn't giving it a lot on the offense and the defensive glass. So I think uh, Mediaco and, and um, uh, I mean, even Wilson in this class, and when you when you look at the guys that they have brought in right here, I mean they're they're going to help you out, especially Gurley. It's on the glass, and guys that can score some points. You know, it, Alabama's had some good defensive big men over the last decade. They've been missing the guy that can get down there and good footwork, good handles, and that you know can and turn and face up and and make plays around the rim on the offensive end. And I think that's what they're going to get quite a few of these guys that are signed that are from the 6'8 to 6'11 range. Speaking with Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports here, talking Alabama basketball, a look at the backcourt tells us that it's crowded, very crowded. Point guards J.D. Davison, Javon Quinterly, not as crowded as the shooting guard position with Shackelford, Burnett, Primo, Ellis. How, how do they get all these guys? How do they, how do they get all these guys into the ballgame and get them the basketball and keep them happy? Well, I think Nate Oates showed you what he wants this year and you're gonna to have to play defense to get on the floor so NATO should probably give up a little bit on the offensive end to have a high level intensity on defense and you already saw it from Ellis this year a guy that is willing to come in play some hard-nosed defense and can shoot the basketball pretty well Jaden Shackelford's a guy's underrated defender not to say that some of these other guys Burnett you know they're not going to play defense but I think he has some proven defenders especially in Keon Ellis and and, and and what he has seen from him, especially over the last nine or ten ball games last year. So it's going to be done by committee. I think there's a lot of games where you can go with a hot hand. You know, you don't like what's on the floor right now. You put in Burnett. You, you keep Shackford on the floor. However it's working out, those are the guys that NATO's going to roll with. You still got to make shots in the system, and this is what killed Alabama against UCLA. But he's going to have the guys that can make shots, make shots that also give it to you on the defensive end. And I think NATO likes the guards that he has. And then the couple of the guards that he's been able to bring in this class, phenomenal. I mean, people forget about Josh Primo because it's a young player. He disappeared somewhat in the middle of the season, wasn't contributing a lot, got hurt in the SEC tournament. But, that, I mean, that's a six, 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 seven guy who can really play two or three. Um, I think Nate Oates, man, he, he's about to spoil Alabama fans with this roster. And his key is just to keep it moving forward. He's got the pieces in place. He's got the pieces in place, guys. If he, if he can just, I think if he can do half the coaching job that he did this year with next year's talent, he could be in the exact same spot or maybe further just based on the talent if he coaches half as good as he did this year. Switching gears to Alabama football, they just had their second scrimmage. Who are some of the standout guys for this Alabama football team through the spring now that we are nearing A-Day on Saturday? Uh, well, this is 
I, I've seen it on a couple articles, so it's, it's not a secret anymore. But uh, Paul Tyson doesn't have it. I think a lot of people in attendance would say that um, Jalen Milrow um, is probably your number two quarterback. Bryce Young is an absolute dog. The defense is scary. A lot of these young freshmen that just got on campus um, look really good as well. So I think you can kind of read it in a lot of Nick Saban's press conferences talking about Bryce Young, how he's commanding the offense. Last week it was he's making some throws that we wanted to see him make this week as he's commanding the offense a little bit better, being the leader uh, on the field for the offense. And, you know, I just think defensively Pete Golden can not put it on cruise control because, you know, we do have some games we've given up some points, but he's got some leaders back. He's got Chris Harris. He's got Moody. He's got a lot of DBs back, and that defensive line is full of depth, man. And I, that, I mean, even Will Rikers 5-5 five five on kicks in the, in, the, in the scrimmage Saturday. So, I mean, Alabama's from what we're seeing, you know, Alabama versus Alabama on a Saturday, they they look fine tuned and not I mean, not be surprised if Alabama uh, back in the college football playoff and lifting a trophy at the end of the year. I mean, it's just what the people are saying. Oftentimes, it seems like every year somebody that we didn't expect emerges on the Alabama defensive line to be somebody special. We saw it in the national title game. It seems like we see it in the in the college football playoff every year. Somebody just. Become, goes into beast mode on this Alabama defensive line. But for you, looking at this Alabama defensive line, who are the major players? Yeah, I think you're right, man. Uh, Quentin Williams kind of came on out of nowhere. Nobody was really expecting him to be the guy when he was the guy last year. Chris Barmore plays the first seven games, the third down guy. And down the stretch, he he's the best player on defense that maybe outside of Pat Sertan. So um, this year, I, it's going to be done by committee, I think. I mean, you have guys. You have D.J. Dell, you have Phil Mathis, you have Tim Smith. I think Tim Smith is a guy that people really like. You already know what you're getting in, in Will Anderson. You know what you're going to get from Anderson and Allen off the edge. Uh, I, I just like that group of three that I just named off on the defensive line to, you know, somebody's not having their best game. Maybe if Phil's not getting it done, maybe it's Tim Smith getting it done. And I, I think Alabama's in a very good situation for defensive line depth, and we haven't even talked about it, Boyd B., or Byron Young and some other guys that, you know, that were highly, highly, highly touted uh, recruits and that still got a lot of playing time last year. And if it wasn't for Chris Barbour coming on as strong as he did at the end of the year, maybe you would have heard some of those other names um, in the fold throughout the, the SEC title run and in the college football playoff. Anything that you're expecting to see that maybe folks – may not be talking about right now going into A-Day. Like, what, what, what are you expecting out of the Crimson Tide a, a week from uh, week from this past Saturday? I would just tell people, do not be surprised at how good – if Jalen Milrow looks as good in the public eyes he did Saturday, just don't be surprised because the guy, he's very mobile, but he's got a cannon of an arm and he's making some really good throws right now. Now he's running with the twos. He's throwing to Ja'Cory Brooks and a lot of the wide receivers that just got on campus, but – that's a guy that can really play. So do not be surprised at how good um, Milrow looks, and don't be surprised if he's in front of Paul Tyson um, on the, I guess, the quote-unquote depth chart for his spring game. But don't be surprised. The guy's got some game. I think Bill O'Brien and Nick Saban have been a little impressed with him. Jeremy, I appreciate you taking the time to speak with us here on On the Line and give us the, all the latest info on Alabama athletics. Man, I appreciate it. Tell everybody where they can find you on social media. Yeah, find me at IMJ underscore law on Twitter. Thanks, Noah. Don't get uh, Gump Twitter fired up anymore. I've had enough for a week. You know, you know, I, you never know what what could pull me down. I, there, just sometimes you tweet <laughs> something that that is so blatantly obvious, 
and yet somebody will find something wrong with it. And that's just, you know, that's the day and age that we live in. I guess that's how it's always been. I appreciate it, my man. Thanks, though. That was Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports. And let me tell you guys, it's so true. It's so true. I mean, the, the tweet that I that I had last week, just to remind everybody of it, just to keep everybody up to date who may just now be joining us and, and might not know what I'm talking about. First of all, I have to find my way all the way back to it because I have to go through my Twitter timeline here and go back and figure it out. But here we go. We got it pulled up right now. Auburn fans don't want to admit this, but Alabama has closed the gap in basketball. With the way these two teams are currently recruiting, gets an arms race. Get ready for this to become one of the best rivalries in all of college basketball. So that apparently got me drugged through the mud. <laughs> it's an accurate statement. I mean, like Jeremy said, it was like, yeah, I definitely feel like the teams are pretty even right now as far it was as... It a compliment to Alabama fans. Exactly. It's like y'all's program is balling out. It's doing out. great. It's doing, it's doing good. great. Two thumbs up. It's doing great. You couldn't do what Auburn did in 2019 with your best team maybe ever, but still... Doing I great. I wouldn't say best ever, I was but it just, was a pretty The whole team. point of it was that this basketball rivalry is about to be the most intense it has ever been. These two teams care about it the most that they have ever cared about their basketball programs. They care at the same time. They're recruiting at the highest level that both of them have been doing at the same time like this is the highest level these two teams have recruited at the same time and that's what i meant by arms race as an arms race from you know prior to world war one you know and weaponry's increasing and whatnot you know it it, it increases tensions and increases hostilities like both these fan bases care more now than they ever have about basketball and the, the rivalry right I mean- When's the last time you went to watch Auburn and Alabama play basketball, maybe even over the Iron Bowl in football itself? I mean, it's much more competitive right now in basketball than it is football. And they're both able to compete on the national stage at the moment, but Alabama fans didn't like the fact that I said that there was a gap <laughs> there was a gap prior to this past season, whatever. Whatever. We'll be back with more of on the line on the other side of this break and uh, we'll wrap up hour number 1 here with you. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That's how you get through to On the Line. Jeremy Law of Radio Alabama Sports joined us in that previous segment. We appreciate it, my man. Always good talking to you. If you missed that conversation, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Sorting through some of the stuff that has gone on with Alabama basketball recently. They picked up Furman Transfer. Noah Gurley, that put them two players over the scholarship limit. And now somebody's got to go, or two people have to go, rather. And one of them, as of, I think, about 10, 15, 20 minutes ago, however long. Sting, you were the one who saw it. You were the one who made, us, who made it known to us. And uh, there's already an AL.com article about it as well. Alabama basketball signee asked for release amid roster shuffle. Langston Wilson, Juco signee he was a signee this guy had signed to the alabama basketball program for this year's class like he was a recruit he's asked for a release and i I don't know whether or not he was potentially showing the door or if he kind of realized writing was on the wall the writing was on the wall but i mean at the same time like he's he's a power forward right or he's a small forward right 
And Who's a power forward? And a- Alabama has... Number two ranked Juco prospect in the entire country. That's right. So Alabama has a bunch of guards on their roster that they potentially need to get rid of. Guys like you and I were talking about earlier. Guys like Keon Ellis, who's probably going to be the fourth string shooting guard. I mean, wouldn't you want to go see playing time elsewhere? I think he's six elsewhere? string guard, period. Six string, goodness <laughs> gracious. So all, uh, Alabama... There's still time, though. There's still, there's pl- there's still time. Somebody there's else has to time. go. Yeah, but, but, but talking about guys that Alabama would want to cut loose, I mean, I'm sure the number two Juco prospect in the country is not one of them. But... I don't know. You look at the front court. You got Alex Chaku, who they were super excited about last year coming in as a freshman. He was a high-profile commit. Same as Keon Ambrose Hilton, who was a four-star. They just most recently got Charles Bediaco. If you're more concerned about longevity than you are about than you are about immediate success and considering you just brought in Noah Gurley a power forward that plays the same position before Langston Wilson announced that that Alabama would have had four power forwards on the roster Noah Gurley provides the experience in the same way that Langston Wilson would as a Juco transfer having played collegiate basketball for a couple of years he offers you the same role but at a much higher level considering he's done it in D1 basketball right. and he's done it at a high level he's played very well at Furman he's played well against SEC teams he played well against Alabama played well against Auburn he dropped 21 against Auburn a couple of years ago so he fills that role better than Langston Wilson and then you also don't have to sacrifice the future and the longevity of your program by asking someone like Keon Ambrose Hilton or Alex Chaku to say hey guys guys gotta go that does that actually now that you bring that up that does make perfect sense for a guy like Gurley to transfer in and a guy like Langston to transfer out just looking at Alabama's recruiting class I mean they are bringing in a small forward and a center and as we discussed just the other day uh Charles Bediaco and J.D. Davidson are two of Alabama's six highest recruits in their in their history ever. So they definitely want to let wouldn't want to let Bediaco go for sure. And bringing in Gurley, I mean, that just adds more depth to to, to that front court. And like you just mentioned, obviously he would he, because of his experience, he'd probably get the nod uh, over. Uh, his name slipped Langston Wilson. I'm sorry, I just completely blanked out. But you know, I, I do understand it, but I, I, at the same time, Alabama's got got to get rid of one of their shooting guards, specific, specifically shooting guards. I'm not just talking guards. I think they got to get rid of one of their shooting guards. They have too much depth at that spot, and, and like you, obviously they're they're over by a scholarship. They got to be able to get rid of somebody, and they, they still got to get rid of one of those guards, in my opinion. Langston Wilson here. This is his. This was what he said. The, the, he posted this on Twitter. I also think I may have seen somebody said that this was on Instagram, but I'm looking at this on Twitter right now from Langston Wilson's account. First and foremost, I want to thank Alabama for all the love and support. They have shown this by far one of the best they have shown. This is by far one of the best fan bases in the world. With that being said, though, after long talks with the coaches and those within my inner circle, I feel as though it is best that I am released from my NLI and reopen my recruitment. I love Alabama and they will always be a strong option for me going forward through this process and will remain so please respect my decision as I go through this process. Hashtag God's plan and then he signed it at the bottom. I presume he signed it at the bottom and um, so the number two ranked Juco prospect now decommits from Alabama. That was also found on Tipton Edits. I found that so I mean this thing is happening and it sounded like he had a conversation with the coaches. To me I read that it sounds like he had a conversation with the coaches and 
there wasn't any room left in the front court. That's right. He was showing the door. Actually, about 10 minutes later, he also tweeted, please respect that this is a difficult time for me. Please give me time and space to get my thoughts together. Much love. So obviously, I don't really know if he wanted to leave the program, but this is definitely a decision that it feels like he had to make with Noah Gurley in and having a conversation with the staff. I, I and I feel- don't want to dive too far deep into it, speculations and that Alabama you know, told the guy to leave or, or all this stuff because we don't know, but you know that they had two limits over and Alabama had to do something, right? Like Alabama right. had to move some space. Somebody had to go. So obviously the, the, the staff has to make a decision and talk to talk to these guys and say... And these players not, obviously wanted to go. Not necessarily tell them you got to go, but like the, the conversations have to be had. Yeah. Exactly. Auburn basketball still waiting for some commitments, though. Uh, was it Friday or Thursday, maybe, that we saw Wendell Green Jr.? I believe it was Friday. I believe it was Friday, yes. It's all running together these days, man. Players are committing left and right. Not necessarily to Auburn at the moment, at least some of their high-profile guys. You're still waiting on Walker Kessler. You're still waiting on Ty Ty Washington. Xavier Pinson decided to go to LSU. Not a shocker with the way that the backcourt's unfolding for Auburn. Once I saw Wendell Green Jr. commit to Auburn, I wondered. I really did wonder about what Auburn was going to do moving forward with their transfers and the, the spots that they have left them because I believe Auburn's still got like two more spots available that, that they could do as far as the scholarship limit is concerned. And it seems like they heavily want Walker Kessler. And you wonder if they're done after Kessler and if they make the decision to go after Henderson and see if he'll reclassify and just put all your eggs in the basket there. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think they'll get, they'll get Kessler. And I'm really excited to see whether or not it's Scoot Henderson or Ty Ty Washington. And maybe those guys make the decision for them, you know? You could, you could miss on both of them. I think both of them. Like, I'm I just not overly confident about Auburn's backcourt options at the moment on the transfer market. But that does for hour number one of On the Line. We'll be back with hour number two on the other side of this break. You are on the line live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn and Opelika on ESPN 1067. Listen online at foxsports983.com or espnau.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. Join the show by calling 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Hour number two of On the Line. Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. It's been a good hour, number one. If you missed any of the show, go and find the show wherever you get your podcast. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That'll get you through to On the Line. We want to hear from you. Whatever's on your mind, if you're upset about what happened with the Braves game last night, please. We want to hear from you too. We're upset as well. I, 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 even if I, even if I wasn't partial towards the Braves, because I'll be real, I am. I like the Braves. Even if I wasn't, I would be angry about this. Here's my thing: is I'm not, yeah, I'm not a massive baseball fan. I'm not a big MLB fan. I'm actually, if anything, I'm a Cubs fan. But I, I am partial to the Braves simply because they, there are a lot of people in this area that pull for them. And I will watch games for, from time to time simply because I'm easiest just Easiest team to watch. Yeah, it's the easiest team to watch. Always on TV? Yeah, and I'm just, I'm just a sports enthusiast. But seeing that last night genuinely made me upset. Bad for baseball. Bad for baseball. And I don't want to harp on it too long because we've already talked about it a good bit. But whatever's on your mind, we will talk to you about it. 334-321-1390. Find Lance and I on Twitter at PointGardner at Intern Jaws. So, uh, and now Levi 
texting me as well i'm the biggest braves hater and i'm upset with it you know how i feel about poor officiating yeah i'm here for it and we just got to see levi too for a little bit which was really good to see him and uh if you're listening my man we appreciate you coming by and uh we can't wait for you to be back in the chair next to us and and uh talking with us and whatnot just for folks out there that may not be caught up on it he's doing a lot better uh he had a he had a car wreck uh probably about a week and a half ago i yeah it's been about a week and a half and he's he's been recovering and he's doing a lot better now and we're we're looking forward to when he can get back here with us in the studio and and definitely uh get back in that chair next to us and chop it up with us because uh he is he is the biggest braves hater i know and he's you know as he says there he's he's even upset about what happened in the in the, in the braves game last night i need it's bad his, for baseball i need his passion for georgia tech basketball to come back into this building i, I need i need some buzzing <laughs> i need some hype for, for for north carolina and duke and florida state being frauds i need that back in my life that's great that's great well, let's start off hour number two here. Some Auburn baseball talk. Auburn getting swept for the third time this season in SEC play, or just period, getting swept for the third time this year, falling to Mississippi State in all three games. Lost Friday night 5-6. to six. That really seemed to take the wind out of their sails because Mississippi State left no doubt in game two. Auburn never really looked competitive, lost that game 7-2. to two. And then on Sunday, Mississippi State once again left no doubt, 10 runs in the first inning. That kind of looks like you mailed it in. You lose 19-10. to 10. You get swept across all three games. Not a good look. I think that's pretty much put NCAA tournament hopes to bed. Yeah, I agree with you. And it's something that we've talked about all season long and and a lot of it has been attributed to injuries and I understand that there are excuses that can be made but this bullpen has not been playing well all season and whenever you give up 17 hits to Mississippi State in a 19 to 10 loss it just doesn't look good I mean there's no other way to paint it this bullpen is really struggling right now uh Gonzalez gave up seven hits uh Carlson gave up two uh Barnett gave up four Hayden gave up two and Brooks gave up two as well it's just, it's not just one guy. It's it's everybody in the bullpen right now. And I understand that Jack Owens trying to recover. He didn't play that 19 to 10 loss. Uh, but but this bullpen is struggling. And whenever you couple that with bats that are able to get hits but not get runs, it's it's a recipe for 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 losing games and getting swept against really good teams like State. As you were talking before, we actually went into the weekend. You're like, well, I believe these Auburn bats are going to come alive against Mississippi State. Friday looked so promising. I said it Auburn did. would take. Look, I'll be real own up to it. I was wrong. I thought Auburn was going to take two out of three this this weekend. And my my major point on that was this Mississippi State team was even worse hitting team than Auburn statistically in right. conference play by, by small margins but they were worse and I thought well this Auburn pitching staff look at how well they did against Arkansas they were in every game if, if anything they blew two leads on Friday and Saturday we, we made the argument on Monday Auburn was two innings away across the whole series from sweeping Arkansas the number one team in the country at some of the polls you you see an upward trend for Auburn baseball they get to Mississippi State they play that way on Friday and they just couldn't quite close it they couldn't quite Close the gap there and get the win, and then they just fell apart across the rest of the weekend. And um, you know, I don't see a way back now. I, 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 I've been saying for quite some time after after the Kentucky series, I said, look, they can't take another sweep. They've got to start winning some games because you're running out of time. You're at you're running out of games. There's a magic number to make the postseason in baseball. And the worst Auburn team that I can remember right now in recent history in conference play making the NCAA tournament 
was a 14 and 16 SEC play Auburn team. They they obviously had a better record than that overall, but in SEC play, they were 14 and 16. And that was in 2019 in Omaha, the Omaha year, but they almost didn't make the NCAA tournament that year. There were a lot of talks that if that LSU series did not happen the way it did, the last series of the season, if Auburn doesn't hit that walk-off, you're you're not you're not playing in in, in May. You're not you're not playing in the postseason. You'll you'll play in the SEC tournament. But SEC tournament wasn't kind of Auburn that year. You're not making it to the, the the NCAA tournament, and then thus you're not making it to Omaha. But I don't see Auburn getting to 14 wins in conference play. They're one in 11 right now, guys. I, I one sweep is bad enough for you. Two sweeps is horrendous. Three sweeps is unthinkable. And right now, this Auburn team with with being one in 11 in conference play, you got 18 games left. I mean, you got 18 games left. You got six series. You got to go fourteen and four to hit the magic number of fifteen wins, or you have to go thirteen and five. And I don't see thirteen and five as likely either. I, I don't see you it. Still got South Carolina. You still got Florida. You still got LSU, who had a little bit of a bounce back this weekend. I I, I just don't see it. Yeah, I see it. Alabama. Yeah, Alabama's the next series. Yeah, I agree, I agree with you. It's looking really tough for for Auburn baseball right now. Off to their worst start in program history i would love to know how many games auburn has either had a more than one run lead in late or has lost by one run because i'm i, I guarantee you it's been a lot auburn auburn has had its way in baseball games up until the very end in a lot of different games this season well this it, has been a trend all year long right this goes all the way back to the round rock classic when auburn blew it against oklahoma in the friday game Obviously, it wasn't close against Baylor the next day, and then they beat Texas A&M. Would you leave that weekend, and you're thinking, well, you went 1-2, and two and you're you're a blown lead in the Oklahoma game from viewing this team completely different. And then the next weekend, you've got Boston College, and once again, you give up eight runs or something like that in the ninth inning to blow the series to Boston College. You're another blown lead. I remember talking about that. You're a blown, blown lead away against Boston College and Oklahoma from viewing this team vastly different. But the problem is it never changed. That's right. It never changed. And you're looking at what, what Auburn did after that against Boston College. They won 16-1. to And this team show, is, continues to show promise. Even now, they'll have moments where it's like, that's a really, really good baseball team. They'll have moments where they, they, have they really, do things. really good players. Exactly. Where individual efforts are solid. And then you look at what they did the next game on Sunday against Boston College. Lost 9-11. to I believe they were up big in that game. And then they, they, they allowed a comeback late. Uh, it, Auburn just can't find a way to squeak out these close wins. So what's the path back? Let's map it out now. I've got the schedule in front of me. We're looking at SEC play alone. Once again, I'll put the magic number at 14 because I think if Auburn goes on a hot enough streak here, if Auburn were to go 13-5 and in SEC play down the stretch here, that might get them in the NCAA tournament because a lot of postseason selection is, what have you done for me lately? So let's just say, since Auburn has gotten in before, it's a 14-16 and 16 team in SEC play. Let's just try and get to 14 here. So you got Alabama this weekend. Can't lose the series. I'm not too confident that Auburn's going to sweep Alabama. So let's let's go two out of three right now against right. Alabama. So now you go two and one against Alabama. Then you go, you got a three-game series at home against Florida. Once again, just disclaimer here, the schedule does lighten up a lot for Auburn. Every series from here out is winnable. But now we have to, like, Auburn cannot take, I'm just trying to show people how, how little Auburn can take here just to try and get to the number 14. that they need to, yeah. just to get to the number 14. Let's say they take two out of three against Florida because it's going to be hard to sweep a top 15 Florida Gators team. 
Then you got Georgia on the road. We'll also take two out of, let's say Auburn takes two out of three there. They go two and one. So far right now, Auburn would be looking at six and three after the next three series if Auburn doesn't sweep any of those teams. Then you got three more series after that to work with. You got LSU at home. Say you take two out of three there. That's going to get you to eight and four. I almost want to say Auburn sweeps that. LSU's been bad, you're right, but do you have confidence at this point with the Auburn team that you've seen that they're going to sweep anybody? I think I think they're they they have the potential just based off of what I've seen the, against really really good competition teams like Arkansas, teams like Ole Miss. I, I think they definitely do have the potential to sweep against a pretty bad LSU team. If Auburn takes two out of three of every single series that they play from here out, they go twelve and six which puts you at 13 and is that do I have my math correct here that that would put them at 13 and 17, 17. Right? yeah that puts you at 13 17 I was off by just a little bit so 13 and 17 I don't know if that's good enough to get you in the NCAA tournament it's not and, and they, that's just winning every single series that's, that's the right. degree of difficulty I'm trying to put out to you here they have to win every single series that they play from here out and then on top of that they would have to that they you'd really feel more comfortable if they swept two of them you, if you sweep two and win every single series from here out you're in the NCAA tournament yeah it's just really doesn't look like that's possible like it's it's borderline I don't want to say impossible because anything can happen but it's it's close it's close for sure and if Auburn has any more injuries from here on out then it's going to look really really bleak so tough, tough year for Auburn baseball right now with where they're at. This is, it's a hard hole to dig out of, and I've been making this argument for a long time. I've been making this argument since the, uh, since after the Kentucky series when Auburn was zero and six, and I said, look, guys, they can't take another sweep. They've got to start. I said they needed to at least go one and two against Arkansas and Mississippi State, and they failed to do that this weekend. So that's it. baseball is a cruel game. It is an absolutely cruel game. Some other news going around. Once again, Alabama basketball landing transfer forward out of Furman. Noah Gurley, that's been a topic of conversation on today's show. You also got a lot of Auburn football talk across today's show as well. Auburn players meeting with the media today. Luke Deal, Javarius Johnson, J.J. Pegues. We talked at length about J.J. Pegues moving to the defensive line. Tons of fun is on the D-line now. Looking forward to seeing that because I think he's going to be pretty tough to handle. He'll be a good depth piece for a position on the line that – needed some depth because of injuries to players such as Jeremiah Wright. That's right. And we were talking about it in the first hours. Like this guy has the potential to be to be to be NFL NFL ready. I don't want to say NFL ready now. I do I do want to say down a couple years down the line. I think he's going to be NFL ready. Now the question was if he gets drafted, but as you and I also talked in the first hour, if I was taking JJ Begee's tight end or if I was taking J.J. Begee's de- defensive tackle and I was an NFL GM and I wanted to make that draft pick, I would take defensive tackle J.J. Begee's any day over tight end J.J. Begee's because, as we talked about, again, he, he was more of a gadget guy at 300 pounds. And I understand. I've, I've hyped him up. I said he's really versatile, versatile. He can do a lot of different things. He's athletic. You could still line him up in a jumbo package on the offensive side of the football. But, but I would rather take my chances and get his potential on the defensive side of the ball than the offensive side of the ball. And like you mentioned, again, Jeremiah Rideout, Auburn desperately needs some depth there to kind of figure out, okay, let's tool this defensive line. Let's shift guys around. Let's see what we can do with it and, and make it work. And I think J.J. Begees is a, a very good addition. 
Auburn offense supposedly looks tremendously different, looks more like a pro-style offense than maybe what it did under Gus Malzahn, obviously, because that was anything but a pro-style offense. But some players echoing that it's very different. We heard players say that all the time under Gus Malzahn. Insert new offensive coordinator here, Chad Morris. Uh, when Gus Malzahn was retaking over play calling duties after Chip Lindsey left when Chip Lindsey came everybody always wanted to say well we're gonna be a whole lot more explosive this year it looks a lot different this to me feels more legitimate I do want to point out the last time we heard that what did what did Auburn average this year 25 points a game we we, we thought well, this that was, was different we, this is different <laughs> I was about to say last time we heard it, it Auburn's offense fell flat Bo Nix fell flat this team was not very good and a lot of it went back to the offensive line we do get those guys back we do we do return experience. It's just the question is to me the 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 whole thing that's going to make the offense go is whether or not Will Friend can actually coach these guys up and, and get them. I will I'll say middle of the pack in the SEC as far as offensive lines go. If he can get them at seven or eight spot, Auburn's offense is going to be pretty decent. You're listening on the line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Levi Fitzwater. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow Fox Sports Central Alabama on Facebook to keep up with the latest going on in sports. On the line, the drive with Bill Cameron, analysis, news, and more, all on Fox Sports Central Alabama on foxsports983.com and on Facebook, that's foxsports983.com. Sting, you know what time it is. We got Agent Sting on the line with us. How you doing today, buddy? I'm doing great, Noah, and I, I am ready to tell you everything that I have found on Georgia Tech. So today. we got behind enemy baselines. It's the Georgia Tech report here. As Auburn baseball takes on Georgia Tech tomorrow, I believe, 5 p.m. in Atlanta. Last time those two teams squared off, something special happened. Just saying. <laughs> well, that was actually not the last time. That was, what? I think, the time before. The last time that they, they played, played last year, not they know played it. once, like a few days before everything closed up. That yeah. didn't happen. That what didn't are you talking happen. about? No. Look, man, no. the name of the game is accuracy here. I gotta have, I gotta be really accurate with my reports. So <laughs> we'll go for it. What do you got on them? <laughs> All right, so we'll start with some basics here. I was actually kind of surprised. Georgia Tech's record on the season is 15 and 12. They are 12 and 9 in the ACC. But well, then they're a lot better than Auburn. Surprisingly, there we go. Have, <laughs> surprisingly, they have struggled at home. Georgia Tech is seven and eight on the season at home, and they're eight and four on the road. So look, ACC schedules. All right, ACC teams, they get their their records are skewed. They really don't. They play in such a large conference. They really don't play any non conference series. They may play like I like most teams right schedule. now just have one non conference series. That's like that's why their records look so you know right, like that really on wonky. average on average georgia tech's winning more series than they're losing right now in a pretty difficult league uh, i would say the acc's second best conference in baseball and they're 12 and 9 in conference play versus auburn being 1 and 11 sec play yeah this is now, a, I, I view acc teams a little bit differently this isn't a cupcake schedule i mean this no. is a bunch of teams beating up on each other that's why the okay. records look so even right yeah that's fair the uh, Georgia Tech is coached by Danny Hall, who's in his 28th season with the program. His first year was 1994, and they've made the postseason 21 times, including three trips to the College World Series under Danny Hall. And None of us were alive in 1994. Nope. 
That's just saying. Yikes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, all-time serious history. Georgia Tech leads 13 to 11. It's actually very close. And I think don't they normally play twice a year usually if they don't meet in the regionals. I think. What did you say the all-time series was? 13 to 11. Georgia Tech. That does not sound right. It was. I I, I looked at Auburn's uh, baseball. They've only page. played 24 times. I may have to go back and look at that, but I, I, I could swear that does not sound that it right. said Auburn 11, Georgia Tech 13. So I will go Lance, find that. Lance, do some digging. Okay, fine. Yeah, he, he can do some digging. I'll be, there. I'll be there in a minute. <laughs> All right. All right, then let's move on. Uh, the last game for Georgia Tech, they beat Notre Dame on the road 4-2 to two to snap a five-game losing streak. Well, still lost the series to the yeah. Fighting Irish. Also lost, lost the series. series. Yep, Virginia as well. But mm-hmm. they did beat Duke, which is a which is a substantial victory, I would say. Decent. Yeah. Took two out of three against Louisville. Louisville's a ranked club right now. Yep. Saw them play in Florida State this past weekend. Looked pretty good. Yeah. All right. And I got only really two players to watch here for very different reasons. Georgia Tech actually, it seems like, has very good uh, batting. Kevin Parada has a three seventy eight batting average on the season, has five home runs and 22 RBIs. He's one of five hitters in the lineup with a batting average over three hundred and one of four with five-plus home runs. Yeesh. So he's kind of the best of the bunch there in, in most of the statistics. So they, they have a lot of guys, but they, they, they spread it out really well. And the other player to watch is uh, Court Rodig. I hope I'm saying that right. And I have him on my players to watch for a very different reason, and it's because he has not been doing very very well this season. And he appears to be Georgia Tech's main midweek starter that during the midweek games that they've played so far. It seems like Georgia Tech really pitches by committee. So you're no, expecting Auburn to have an advantage in that category in the midweek? I am, because, and here's why, uh, Rodig received the start in each of Georgia Tech's last two midweek games and had two really bad games back-to-back. He pitched a total of 1.1 innings in those two starts and gave up seven runs on seven hits with no strikeouts. His season ERA is 13.5. Yeah. It's, it's bad. I want to butt in here real quick. So just looking at Auburn. Again, record? Yeah, yeah, just looking at their record against Georgia Tech. The, actually, the only thing that does come up is Auburn's uh, official website. And That's you can scroll through from. and look at their baseball history against all these different opponents. Mm-hmm. And they have records only starting at uh, January 29th, 1999. That's why the series is so short. Uh, that they've mm-hmm. only played what twenty four games collectively. So yeah, Auburn is eleven and thirteen against uh, Georgia Tech. Something else I want to point out is, but one not of the, really because they've probably played a lot. Well, more no, because than they that. have all those records there for other sports like in basketball. They had every single game Auburn had ever played against Kentucky. Yeah, and but didn't Alabama. you say that only opponent records according for Auburn baseball there said that they started back in like nineteen ninety nine? Yeah, they they only have baseball history versus Georgia Tech from January 29th, nineteen ninety nine. But to they have. But is that not the first than, game they ever played? Uh, against each other then i would i would assume it is the first game that they and i would ever think played. for baseball they would have that that would have because more baseball is a statistical game and where it's the official website yeah something else i want to point out is google actually the next uh search result uh under auburn and georgia tech's baseball record is why is georgia tech football so bad i just wanted to throw that out there because i think that's hilarious <laughs> wow all right and then so gentlemen i did i did better digging than y'all what Yes, uh, accuracy. I thought was the name of the game, my friend. Look, man, we are using the official <laughs> source here. I am as well. I'm on Auburn baseball's media guide. AU leads the all-time series against Georgia Tech, 119 to 109 and six. What? Boom! I underst- Mike drop. I, under- I think I understand what the the website's saying. I think it's the just the wins and losses at home. I think it, it do- can't I think be. It do- no, I remember seeing. 
There's a lot more games was, than just 24 played in Auburn as well. See, but that would make sense. But I mean, hey, whatever. Eat your heart out, Noah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm telling you, I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Okay, I, be, I believe you. <laughs> yeah, okay, yeah, so I'm looking at it. Yeah, I see it. I, it yeah, I see. 135, 154 all time. Yep. Wait, yep. what? That is oh, not, wow. that's so not we the all record have either. Different, we, we, we all have different numbers, and I guess we'll just never find out which one is it, it's a, it's accurate. On, it's on Auburn's official website. You can see it. I'm, I'm so confused. You know what? Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, they played a lot going. more than 24 games. All right, we'll just settle on that. <laughs> we don't know how many they've actually played, but it seems like it's pretty competitive then, for the most part. 100. percent It doesn't seem yet. like it's separated by more than 10 games all right. over time. We'll but I was like, when well, you that. told me they just played 24 times, I was like, that is not true. This is a this is a rivalry game. They make sure I to play bl- each I other every year. I blame the university's year. official <laughs> records for misleading me. I thought they were going to be better. That's funny. All right, so then that leads me into my X factor. Then what I just said, I mean, Georgia Tech's pitching is not very good. Only one pitcher on the entire team has an ERA below 3.6, and only three have an ERA under 4.0. So my X factor is Georgia Tech's midweek rotation. I said they pitch by committee in their last two midweek games, which were both losses for Georgia Tech, by the way. Georgia Tech used nine pitchers in each game, and none of them were ever very good. I mean, I believe Georgia State scored 10 runs. And South Carolina Upstate scored nine runs. So not, that's 19 runs, and I think it was 23 hits in those two. I looked at the box scores for both games. So they used nine pitchers in both of those games and surrendered a total of 23 hits and 19 runs. That's nothing on Auburn yesterday. Gave up eight, uh, went, went eight, okay, went eight yeah, arms. <laughs> used eight arms Mississippi yesterday State's alone. the number five team in the country. They're not <laughs> South Carolina Upstate. That's a good point. Georgia State. That's nothing, a good point. No hate on those teams or anything, but, I mean, they're not there's a, power, a, there's they're not a big teams. difference there. They're not top five in the country. That's right. Yeah. So I have them as my X factor because if the rotation for Georgia Tech Tuesday night has a good game, then they can come out with a win. But just looking at the numbers, it seems like Auburn has an advantage there, in my opinion. It would be a good win for Auburn to beat Georgia Tech, but and I'm not I'm not you know going against anything that you're saying here. I, I, I SEC plays where Auburn's head has to be at at the moment. No, I agree, but still, it starts with a win in the midweek. Some I mean, generating some momentum, yeah, yeah, that they could use because Alabama's up this week in Tuscaloosa, and I know a lot of Auburn folks are tired of getting beat by Alabama every mm-hmm. sport they've played this year. Yeah. Me included. <laughs> Stan, I appreciate it, my man. Is that everything you got? Yeah, it is. I don't have any cool names. They have pretty standard names on their roster. <laughs> Dang it. I know. Still looking for somebody to beat out Zebulon Vermillion on Arkansas' roster. I don't think that's going to happen. But I need happen. somebody to at least measure up. That's pretty good. <laughs> Well, that was Behind Enemy Baselines with Sting, Auburn, Georgia Tech tomorrow. We have no idea what the all-time series against them. We have found 13 different series numbers, but Auburn-Georgia Tech series continues tomorrow. Let's see. Do we have – let's see if I can find something here. about. Well, see, even on Auburn's website, it just goes back tonight. I, I know what you're looking at, Sting. I, I, I now see what you were looking at. Because on Auburn's website, it's got it going back to 1999. But I go to the media guide, and it's got it going back since the 1800s. Yeah, I'm very, very confused. Because you can look at baseball history. Like, even, like, the first thing that comes up is Alabama A&M. It, well, I, I, maybe they're just all from... No, they're showing the year. So everything's individual year. I don't understand. This is confusing. I just go with the, what the media guide says. Just trust the media guide. 
I I would say that that is probably the most. But where did you find your record of like 130 something? I, I think that was I think that was me looking at an incorrect statistic. I, I just you may have been I, looking at the wrong team. You may probably. have been looking at like Georgia State or something. There's no way Auburn's played Georgia State that many times. Never mind. But yeah, Auburn to Georgia Tech probably going for in the 200s if I had to guess it in all time meetings that they played. But yeah, Auburn having uh, what what was the result last season against Sting? Uh, Georgia Tech won two to six, six, six to, to two. two. Yeah. yeah, and it was days before the season was canceled. Yep. Five p.m. first pitch tomorrow, Atlanta, Georgia. That game can be found actually on ACC Network. Two straight nationally televised games for Auburn baseball coming up on Thursday against Alabama. It's a Thursday, Friday, Saturday series against Alabama. That Thursday game against the Crimson Tide also can be found on sec network outside of that though they're on auburn's website there are no other games listed to be televised this weekend against alabama but you get that thursday series so there's your chance to uh to watch auburn take on alabama and i think auburn played really well against arkansas on that thursday friday saturday series so maybe they can transfer that to their second one of this season when they play alabama again these games are winnable they're not very well they're not losable no and Auburn's going to Auburn's tight roping from here out for the rest of the season, just trying to get into the NCAA tournament. But that seems like that ship has sailed. We'll be back with more of online on the other side of this break. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. Back on On the Line on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Number to call, 334-321-1390. That's how you can get through to On the Line. Guess what, everybody? We found the all-time record between Auburn and Georgia Tech. After some more digging, we were able to finally... And look, this was not as easy as you think it was to find. We had to really go and find some... We had, we had to use our, our fingers in, in the Google machine just to be able to try and find this. And... Uh, we finally were able to get it. What is it, like 121, 112, and 6? Yeah, it's currently the series is at 121, 112, and 6. In favor of? In favor of Auburn. There and, you go. And the, it actually, this is the media guide from last year's uh, contest when Auburn lost 6-2. Uh, to two. The So series, we had to add to that. Yeah, the series has been split eight between the 18 contests, contests that have happened since 2003. The record is 9-9. Nine nine. So as we mentioned, it's like it, we don't even have to look at the series. We just know that this is a very competitive rivalry. Just saw on Twitter as of 13 minutes ago, Bleacher Report tweeted, Patriots have terminated the contract of former Super Bowl MVP Julian Edelman mm. after 11 seasons. Dang. Wow. They're, well, they're cutting, off, they're cutting off what made Tom Brady, uh, his, his, his supporting cast, it, what, what made them good was those small, quick, wide receivers. And they don't really have a whole lot of those left, especially not from those, those Super Bowl winning teams. What do you think the logic is on this? Um, maybe it's because maybe he, oh, Sting has an answer. Go it's ahead. failed physical. Oh, where'd you find that? It said that in the alert, but then I opened it. I was it a, didn't say that in the tweet. I was about to say, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure his body's probably ta- has taken a toll and he, he didn't pass some type of physical exam or something like that. So yeah, I, I, I can see that. Well, that's tough for Cam because he was probably their best weapon in the receiving core. And Cam needs help. So where do you go now? Do you draft somebody? Well, they did make a lot of moves. They did bring in several, a uh, couple of really good tight ends. Yeah, I'm I'm trying to think the tight ends tight end. That, I believe it was Hunter Henry, and then there well, was Hunter Henry, and then the tight ends tight end that I'm thinking of right now. I can't. His name is slipping my mind. It's not Darren Waller. I'm I'm, I'm it's slipping my mind right now. 
I will Google it here. I'm I'm not sharp on this Monday. John O. Smith. Johnny, there yep. you go. It, just talking about the Patriots real quick. I mean, they, they have splurged this offseason to get guys that they want. So a, a loss like Edelman, I mean, it's crucial. I mean, he was definitely a really – he was a top target. He was a talented guy. But they're, they're getting replacements. Last season for the Patriots, Julian Edelman had just 21 receptions for 315 yards. Obviously spent some time away from the game last year due to injuries. Had only played in six games last year. Fun fact, trivia time now, which I know the answer to this question. Where did Julian Edelman go to college? Hmm. He knows. Is it Kent State? It is oh, Kent State. State. Oh, yeah. He he played quarterback, didn't he? He did. I, I believe he played, he played quarterback, quarterback yeah. at yeah, Kent there we State. Go. The more you know, people forget that. Yeah, and, and that is not the only time in Kent State history where they would be more willing to put someone that's athletic than someone that could actually throw the football because yeah. I've seen that recently, Kent State throwing in a quarterback that has no chance of throwing the ball, but all like he looks more like a wide receiver, and they'll they'll run more of an option offense than anything. But Julian Edelman cut by the Patriots or released by the Patriots, however you want to spin it, he, he's not a Patriot anymore. And Cam Newton just lost a weapon. This is something you've been itching to talk about, Lance, and something that we have had on the rundown for several days now. Just haven't gotten to it. Ed Orgeron believes this is his best unit at the quarterback position the best the best unit he's had at quarterback since he's been at lsu really he does <laughs> really like the deep like the deepest group i, I wouldn't say that he's got the he, he's i don't think he's saying that he believes that he's got the best quarterback that he's ever had since he's been at lsu but i think he believes this is the deepest unit he's ever had at quarterback since he's been at lsu okay, well i would very quickly push back on that and point out the fact that he had burrow and brennan on the same roster at the same time and i would argue that brennan's not That's a deeper terrible than what it is now it's deeper than what it is now <laughs> i'd rather have brennan and burrow over brennan max johnson and tj finley that's just me though that's just me i'm just saying <laughs> well where do you stand with this quarterback group because there is a competition right now heading out there to the Bayou with the Bayou Bengals and the LSU Tigers. There is a, there is a quarterback competition at the moment. So, they, yeah, it's, it's in between three different guys. And honestly, Ogeron could go three uh, any with any of these guys, but I think, I think there's one guy in particular that he should be looking at. Let's just go over their stats here real quick. Miles Brennan uh, is the leading passer on the team that's returning. He played in three games, and he had 1,112 yards. 11 touchdowns and three interceptions. And you may say, wow, three games, 1,100 yards, that's pretty good. But you also have to remember that, that th- this offensive line is terrible and LSU had absolutely no running game. And the only way that they were going to get back into that game against Mississippi State was by throwing the football. Uh, just looking at his completion percentage, 60.3%. That's actually the highest out of these three guys. Negative 36 Ooh. yards rushing. So Miles Brennan, definitely more of a pocket passer. Uh, but not the, the not the most accurate, only at sixty percent, and that goes to show they were just throwing the football a lot. That's why he Turnover got all his prone. yards. Yeah, that's right. Three interceptions in those three games, and I so believe he had a couple of three, fumbles. So, which of these guys do you like the most? The room right now filled with Miles Brennan, Max Johnson, T.J. Finley, and Garrett Nussmeyer. So that's where I was going next. Is I believe the guy that they should go for is Max Johnson because he believe he brings a lot to the table. He appeared in five games. He threw for 1,069 yards. He had eight touchdowns and only one interception. Uh, he, he only had 58.7% completion percentage, but this is a guy that was a true freshman that was just kind of thrown into the fire uh, after things just kind of started getting into a mess mid, midway through last season. He had 119 rushing yards and two touchdowns. Uh, and he did it in garbage time mostly like uh, against Auburn, 
but 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 th- this guy has been shown to be very versatile. Actually, reminds me a lot of Garrett Schrader uh, at Mississippi State. I believe he, I'm not sure if he's still on roster. He's if he not. Transferred, he's, he's transferred. But but he reminds me a lot of him. Very very tall, athletic, can run and throw the football. I, I think this lefty Max Johnson definitely has the most potential out of these three guys on roster. And then you have T.J. Finley, five games, 941 yards, five touchdowns, and five picks. Made made a lot of different mistakes. I had that fumble against Auburn and then had those two interceptions, those three turnovers, really crucial in that Auburn game. 57.1% completion percentage, 29 attempts, and only 34 rushing yards. T.J. Finley, out of the guys of these group, I don't, I don't mean to hate on him, but if we're going to talk about things that these guys, guys do well, he, do, he, he doesn't pass the ball efficiently and he doesn't run the ball efficiently. And these two other guys can provide that. So if we're talking, if we're looking at this and we're saying, I have to go with somebody, I think you got to go with Mac Johnson. But Miles Brennan is a talent. I think you could definitely see these guys split time at quarterback early on this season. It could go either way, just trying to figure out, okay, what kind of system do we want to run? Honestly, I think Ogeron's going to start Brennan over Max Johnson, but I do like Mac Johnson's potential. I think he can do a lot of different things. He can bring a lot more to this offense. But I think Brennan will start, but I want Max Johnson to start because he's the more versatile guy. He can do a lot of different things that that I think will make this LSU team better. Just looking at their returning production on the offensive side of the football, they're actually 30th nationally overall in returning production, 82%. Because everybody opted out last that's right, year. That's right, 82%. <laughs> Uh, on the offensive side of the football, that's 30th nationally. But something that you and I have talked about is like, well, the team wasn't very good last year. Couple that with the fact that we don't really believe in this coaching staff all that much. So I, I think LSU is going to have to go for a guy that can do a lot of different things and not just one thing. And I think they should go with Mac Johnson. This quarterback room reminds me a lot of the one back in like 14 that had Anthony yeah. Jennings and Brandon Harris. Yep. That like none of them really do anything well. And you're just kind of like they're all just kind of average. Yep. I, I don't. I, maybe at best, I, I think Miles Brennan's the best quarterback in the room at the moment. But that you know, I understand Max Johnson as well. I definitely think it's between those two. I don't have confidence that this coaching staff is just going to be able to turn everything around based on what we saw last year. And then I, I don't think that the skill position players were that great for him outside of that. The running back room wasn't overly enthralling. Neither was the receiver group outside of Terrace Ferguson, who also opted out after things really went south late in the season. You were talking about Garrett Schrader, the Mississippi State quarterback. Guess where he's at now? Uh, where's he at? He's at Syracuse. Really? Transferred to Syracuse. That could so, really work out well for Dino Babers. For, he, he's competing for a... Uh, He's competing for a starting job out there. Yeah, actually, that may make them really good, just thinking about what Eric Dungy was able to do for them two or three years. Both very similar, same build, kind of same same type of player. I'm actually, I didn't know that. I'm really excited to see him play for Syracuse. Yeah. So this LSU, this LSU group, though, still going over that, I, I just don't think, I don't get the whole, this is the best quarterback room at LSU since I've been here part that Orgeron said. I'll, I'll push back on that as well because the one that had Joe Burrow and Miles Brennan in the same room is better than this one, I'd say. But is that even still like, does that even mean anything? Yeah. Like that he says that this is the best room, even if Joe Burrow hadn't happened. Well, like, let's just take that out of the equation here because he did have Joe Burrow for two years. Let's just be real. He had Joe Burrow for two years. Just take that out of the equation here because he obviously is. He obviously he clearly forgot that Joe Burrow was one of his quarterbacks. If we're looking at it without Joe Burrow and his time at LSU, is this still like, is it really saying much that this is the best quarterback room he's ever had? Well, I would still push back on it and say that Burrow was like, what, 16 touchdowns, five interceptions in 2018? I mean, he wasn't a bad quarterback. I would say that he was better than every single guy on this list. 
Like, even if you give them the weapons that they had in 2019, I think Burrow still comes out on top. If it does say anything, and I hate to be incredibly negative here, but I think you and I say it have the same position on this. If it says anything and it tells me that this coaching staff's not very, I don't want to say competent. I don't want to use that word, but I. He won a national championship. He did win a national title, but. To say that this is the best quarterback room you've ever had is just an inaccurate statement, and that, that gives me concern for, for these guys moving forward. Go Tigers. Go Tigers. <laughs> Ed Orzeron, LSU, going through a bit of a quarterback competition this spring. I doubt anybody will be named until very much so close to the start of the regular season and really you know, deep into fall camp and up, up until that game week when they take on, I believe they open with UCLA. Yeah, I, I believe they do, and that should actually be a really good game with uh, Dorian Thompson. Robinson, I believe, is UCLA's quarterback coming back. Tell me back. about UCLA's returning production. Yeah, well, let's let's take a look at that They do quick. open with UCLA. That game is to be announced on times, oh. but it's at UCLA in the Rose Bowl September 4th. Be there or be square. UCLA is second in the country in returning production at That's 91%. Right. 95 I knew that on the offensive side of the ball, and 88 on the defensive side of the football. I knew they were bringing back a ton on the offensive side, and under uh, Chip Kelly, this this team has gotten better. I am not shocked. I will not be shocked if UCLA pulls the upset. I I was about to say, I think we... I don't want to pencil it as a definite loss, but... I need to see more happen, but I wouldn't be shocked. It wouldn't be an upset. I wouldn't... Oh, no, I'd still say it's an upset, but we may not view it that way as the season goes on. More of On the Line on the other side of this break. We wrap up the show here when we come back. On the Line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. You're on the line with Noel Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. We got about eight minutes left in the show here on On the Line. And then in 12 minutes at 4 o'clock, it'll be the drive with Bill Cameron. Bill and Dan will take your calls as they do every weekday, 4 to 6, talking all things Auburn Athletics and beyond. So make sure you stay tuned for that here on ESPN 106.7 and on Fox Sports Central Alabama. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable on the line. The drive with Bill Cameron. Analysis, news, and more. Seven hours of local sports talk. That's all on ESPN 106.7. Find the website on ESPNAU.com. It's been a packed show for everybody today. Talk to Auburn football, Alabama basketball news. Auburn basketball still waiting for some mer- for some more transfers to come through the door. Walker Kessler, I would imagine, is the next name to hear anything about if you're talking. Uh, among all the names that you have seen reported and whatnot, Walker Kessler, I would imagine, is the next name that you see make a decision. Yeah, we haven't really heard a lot from Scoot Henderson or Ty Ty Washington as far as what they're going to do. I think it's going to be a while for Scoot Henderson. Yeah, if anything, we've heard negative things about Scoot, Scoot potentially reclassifying. And I don't, I honestly, the way, the way I'm leaning right now is I don't think we get him or Ty Ty. I think we've got a pretty decent chance to get Kessler. Uh, it's just the question of whether or not um, North Carolina, like how how badly they wanted him to come back, is going to be the, the oh, factor. Oh, I think they want. And I think bad. they want them, him desperately just based off well, what Garrison I've heard. Garrison Brooks is gone now. Garrison Brooks is in the transfer portal. That would also be a guy that uh, Auburn could do I don't think he's coming to Auburn. From what I understand, Auburn is actually one of the guys that's pursuing him right now. I may be incorrect on that. But 
Uh, I, I think Walker Kessler could definitely be a very promising addition to this basketball team. I think there is a chance that we get him. With North Carolina pursuing him as hard as they are right now, I just I, I, I don't know. It's kind of up in the air. I honestly expected Kessler to commit over the weekend. I, 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 thought, I thought he would, and the fact that it's being drawn out as long as it, it, it is right now, it concerns me because the longer this thing plays out, I feel like it favors Auburn less and less. But regardless... Any, any addition that that Auburn would be looking to get right now would def, would, would help. I mean, still there's still the opportunity to get Ty Ty or, or Scoot. Uh, so any of the guys that Auburn's still going after right now would, would definitely be a plus. Xavier Pinson committing to LSU. I mean, it's disappointing, but I understand why he did. I think Auburn's kind of getting their their guard spot figured out right now, and there are different there are definitely other guys on the table that would be better than than uh, than uh, Pinson would supposedly and uh i see this in an sb nation article here uk and the running for garrison brooks bryce hopkins is recruiting adam miller this is an sb nation article here that i see uh supposedly sports illustrated reporter kiara luck saying that per sources this is off of a tweet here per sources programs of the race for former hashtag unc ford garrison brooks are georgetown kentucky arizona state tennessee auburn and georgia there you go Hopefully, let's so see. you did see correctly, I guess. Let's but. let's see him come back to uh, to the to the plains. Man, a switch from North Carolina, Kentucky, just sounds wrong. Mm. That doesn't sound right. Yeah, I, I, I can't. Amongst any of those blue bloods, whether it be Duke to Kentucky or like uh, any type of movement in that triangle of Duke, North Carolina, Kentucky, they all hate each other. Man, that just doesn't sound right. Or or Auburn to Tennessee. I'm looking at you, Justin Powell. How could you? <laughs> How could you, man? Not, not as, not as, you know. If it, I, I think a different triangle there would be Tennessee, Kentucky, and Auburn, but that's not sure. as escalated as as, as the original <laughs> one. But sure, yeah, that that definitely ruffled some feathers, and I and I can see why based on you know things that you hear about that. I I understand why that would have ruffled some feathers on that on I'm, that equation. I'm big, but I'm I'm Powell's biggest supporter. How could he do this to me? <laughs> the team that I hate the most, the most. Tennessee, really? You could have gone to Kentucky, and I, I would have hated you less. You could have gone to Louisville, and I would have supported you. But now that you're at Tennessee, you, you made the wrong decision, my friend. <laughs> it, it, moving forward, when we're talking about, you know... All Auburn, jokes aside, though, you, you hope the guy's, you know, successful. I, you respect everybody's decision. I hope he plays well. I hope he gets drafted, and I think he will. I think he'll play well in the NBA, and I think he'll play well at Tennessee. He's a really consistent guard, like what he does offensively. But as far as, like, you know, talking about Auburn and Alabama, they're in an arms race. Tennessee and, and, and Auburn... There's a gap there. Like there is for sure know, a gap there well right now. Consistently, no, they're well. recruiting well. But when's the last time Tennessee beat Auburn? That's a good point. It's been good, it's been two point. or three years. Auburn's been dominating as of late. Even with this year's team, they still managed to beat a top twenty-five Tennessee squad. Now you can say all you want about their inconsistency. You can say all you want about how bad this Tennessee team was at times. We saw them lose to Oregon State, obviously in the NCAA tournament. But they they still couldn't beat Auburn even on an off day. Moving forward with Auburn's recruiting class, I don't see Powell and the Vols ever getting that chance. I'll be I'll, I'll be interested to see what Garrison Brooks decides to do here because he's going to make a nice piece to anybody's front court, and Auburn does appear to uh, uh, Auburn does appear to be in the running. I'd be interested to see if he comes if he, if he does decide to come and play at Auburn because it is a crowded front court. ACC preseason this is player of the doing year. Doing more digging around on the internet and just seeing what what's being written. I, I, 
Auburn's in pretty much everybody is pretty much in everybody's article. I just I, I highly doubt I highly doubt it he ends up here on the plane. If he did though, that would make things very interesting because you were talking about earlier you you view JT Thor as more of a three guy instead of a four, and that surprises me. Think about JT Thor, man. He plays away from the basket. Right. He's a shooter more than anything. If you're talking about his offensive game, he's obviously a face up four if we're gonna talk about him as a power forward, but like I don't care how tall Kevin Durant is. Kevin Durant is a small forward in the NBA. He plays the three in the NBA. I agree with you. And Kevin Durant is six foot eleven. JT Thor's right up there. JT Thor reminds me more of Kevin Durant than the power forward position. See, it, 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 not not saying that he is Kevin Durant or anywhere remotely close to being that good, but I'm just saying play style alone, he plays away from the basket. It does entertain me to think about potentially if JT Thor does choose to come back. Let's say we put him at that three spot. It immediately prompts the question, where is Alan Flanagan go? But it also prompts the question, is like, okay, is Jabari Smith going to be at that five or going to be at that four? I think and Alan Flanagan can play the two. It's exactly. So if so, then we're putting Jalen Williams, who is the smallest guy out of Thor and Smith, at, at the five spot. Let's do it. Which I, think, I find very entertaining. Which I think could be a matchup nightmare, though, for the slower centers in the league trying to guard him. Also, he can, he can pop a three. Centers don't want to... Centers don't want to come out of the three-point line. That's exactly right. And if they do, blow by. I was, that's exactly what I was about to say, how potent this lineup could be if you put Williams at the center because he can shoot the three, Smith can shoot the three, Flanagan at the two can shoot the three if you don't choose to put him in small forward. Thor showed over the course of the season, as 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 the season started to dwindle down, he could shoot the three, 24 points against Kentucky. I believe he was four for four in that game. And then you've got two transfer guards coming in that shot the three at an incredibly high rate percentage-wise. I believe Wendell Green was shooting it at, what, 39 40%? He was shooting like 46% over his last 12 games at EKU. So Auburn's cut. Auburn's transitioning back into that 2019 year, except the guys are just five or six inches taller, and I'm really excited to see it. There's also Garrison Brooks also has been linked to Mississippi State, I think I'm seeing as well on social media, so that'll be interesting. I believe his dad is, is an assistant coach on staff. I know, I know when he was coming out of high school, that was the case. I'm not sure if that's still the – I don't know if that's still the situation. I haven't kept up with Mississippi State's – you know their head coaching group or, or their coaching group there i know obviously ben Hallen's still there of course but i don't know if his assistants have all stayed put yeah i guess you know we'll just have to wait and see what garrison brooks does but i would say that auburn is probably towards the bottom of that list if i had to guess and i i wouldn't disagree with you but i, I would love to see brooks come back to auburn because he would be a powerful piece to add to this lineup that does it for another edition of On the Line. The drive with Bill Cameron following us at 4 p.m. They'll be taking your calls. We'll be back with you tomorrow, everybody. You know where to find us. 